If you're a fan of big ideas, debate, and politics, check out our festival partner, Geopolitical Magazine Foreign Policy. A forum for informed debate about global affairs, foreign policy keeps a finger on the pulse of world news and political happenings. Beyond articles that delve behind the headlines via traditional reporting, Foreign Policy has so many other products to offer, ensuring that no matter how you like to engage with eye-opening content, there is a method for you. Check out their free offerings, like Foreign Policy Live, their forum for live journalism, newsletters, and podcasts. And with a subscription, unlock in-depth features and quarterly magazines, including their recently dropped spring edition, All About India. Fans of IAI will love Foreign Policy for more of the mind-expanding, insightful content that they seek. To explore their content, take advantage of an exclusive discount for IAI fans. Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything Foreign Policy has to offer. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Philosophy for Our Times, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. In today's debate, Sophie Walker, leader of the Women's Equality Party, faces Helena Cronin, Darwinian philosopher and a strong believer in natural sex differences. Joined by psychiatrist Theodore Dalrymple, they debate the pros, cons and possibilities of equality. I'm just going to hand over to these three people to make their points. I've got Theodore Dalrymple, who I'm sure known to you as a former prison psychiatrist and uh, a writer across many uh, outlets. Uh, I've got Sophie Walker from the Women's Equality Party. We've got Helena Cronin, who's a um, Darwinian philosopher on sex differences from an evolutionary perspective and is currently the London School of Economics. And we're going to be talking about equality. We're going to be discussing the different dimensions of equality. There's a great passage by Amartya Sen in which he says, pretty much everybody agrees in equality of one kind or another. The libertarian thinks of equal liberty. The authoritarian thinks equality before the law. But the social democrats and the socialists have a more extended sense of equality. And what type of equality are we talking about? And we're going to investigate whether we think equality of opportunity is a misguided idea, which in some way prevents us moving towards a deeper idea of equality. What is, what do we mean by these questions anyway? Is this the same as fairness? Do we want appropriateness rather than equality? These are the sorts of things we're going to be discussing. I'm going to come to Theodore Dalrymple first. It's easy to show that equality is not an end in itself, uh, but can be desirable only in conjunction with some other goal that is desired. If an entire city were destroyed, for example, everyone would be equally homeless. Uh, but this is not a, a desirable state of affairs. If we were able to reduce the infant mortality rate of the richest and the poorest decile of the population by one per thousand live births, this would actually increase inequality. Um, But no one, I think, would refuse to do it on those grounds that it increased inequality. A state of equality of outcome would be grossly unjust and psychologically disastrous. It would deprive life of a large part of meaning. Uh, To disconnect entirely reward uh, from desert would mean uh, the destruction of the concept or part of the concept of justice. And even if you believed in the most rigid determinism that A managed to do better than B only because of his genetic endowment and his circumstances, still not to reward him would deprive him of a reason for trying to do his best which would cause everyone to lose. And the case is even worse uh, with equality of opportunity. 
the only real way of ensuring equality of opportunity would be to have only clones as children and to bring them up in hatcheries. I don't think it takes much effort of the imagination to realise what such a society would be like. I've been to North Korea, and I can assure you North Korea would appear like a haven of liberty by comparison with that. On the other hand, the goal of giving everyone uh, opportunity, though not equal opportunity, should be aimed at, in my view. I hope I'm not alone in finding it scandalous that so many of our children leave school unable to read or write fluently after something like £80,000 has been spent on their education. Practically all children can be taught to read properly, and our failure to do this is far worse than any present degree of inequality. Equality of opportunity in a truly meritocratic society would have harmful psychological effects, moreover. In such a society, if it, allow, uh, if it allowed inequality of outcome as well as having equality of opportunity, we could blame only ourselves for our failure. Uh, the need to be able to blame someone else is a fundamental human need, if not a, a right. Clearly, there's unjust inequality. Uh, if I were to arrange for all your cars to be stolen, for example, made over to me, that would be my unjust enrichment. The exact degree of equality, other than formal equality under the law, is never specified because it is unspecifiable. Clearly, there is unfair inequality as well. It's unfair that I was not born more handsome or more gifted than many other people I could name. And furthermore, we must remember that justice is not the only desideratum in life. Equality of opportunity, whether it is something we broadly believe in, and even to the extent that it may be reflected in some of our laws, certainly not the status quo. But it is something that we work towards. And I will defend it as a moral judgment that this is the way things ought to be. All citizens should have an equal chance or an equal opportunity to maximize their capabilities. Now, this panel will have you believe that equality of opportunity is about sameness. It does not allow for differences. I disagree. Equality of opportunity is one of our most important tools for understanding difference. Because it demands that we recognize the different capabilities of individuals and groups. And that we respond with different ways of maximizing those capabilities so that they may realize their aspirations. This panel will also tell you that equality of opportunity is impossible. That people are born with different capabilities and nurtured differently. And that some of those people are just more likely to succeed than others. But that depends on what your idea of success looks like. We have decided, for example, that being a technology entrepreneur is more valuable than being a carer. 
You can see this in the associated educational opportunities and in the opportunities to earn a decent salary. You can also see it in the fact that there are very few tech entrepreneurs working in an unpaid capacity. The Women's Equality Party wants women to have an equal opportunity to participate in decisions about what success looks like and what we value as a society. We do not believe that equality is a zero-sum game, that we only have a limited amount to hand out, and thus it must always follow that if we give a bit to one group, then we must give less or take away from another group. The Women's Equality Party is striving for a world in which men and women are equal. And this means not only looking at the lived experiences of women, but at their experience as a group. It means understanding the structural inequalities that women face on the basis of their gender and how this relates to political and economic power. Equality of opportunity is about correcting for past and current forms and effects of discrimination. It is about understanding that the violence perpetrated against women and girls is a structural violence. It is about understanding that the pay gap starts before you have a job. It is to do with gender stereotyping in education and the value that we attach to different occupations. Well, let's talk about sex, or rather a taboo, sex differences, because they put inequalities in quite a new light. Take workplace inequalities that we've just heard about, scandalous, of course. Women are ghettoized, nursing, 90%, engineering, 9%, which is the sort of thing Sophie was pointing to. And everywhere, it's men at the top and the notorious pay gap again. Clearly, this is gross discrimination against women. Or is it? That's the conventional wisdom, but it's profoundly mistaken. And why? It's because it doesn't engage with the real cause, the real cause being sex differences. Over evolutionary time, men and women faced different problems and so have evolved different solutions. Consider just one difference, a difference in interests. On average, women are more interested in people and men are more interested in things. That doesn't mean women aren't interested in things or men aren't interested in people. I'm just saying more. And that's why there are so many women in nursing and so very, very few in engineering. The people-things difference in interests is huge, and it accounts for most of the differential male-female distribution in the workplace. And it's exactly the same thing with men at the top. Men and women have different life priorities, and so they make different trade-offs between careers and other priorities. Hence a pr higher proportion of males at the top. And that notorious pay gap. <coughs> women do different work, and there are fewer women at the top. It's not a gap, and it's not discrimination. So, what have we learned? First, equality is not sameness. Difference is what male-female equality looks like. 
So why use a single metric, and worse, a male metric, for success? And I agree with Sophie there. Second, difference is not evidence of discrimination. Spot the logical error in the following. If there's prejudice, there'll be fewer women at the top. There are fewer women at the top, therefore there's prejudice. It's on that terrible howler, a whopping howler, that the entire edifice of conventional wisdom is built. Third, policy should be informed by science, and policies about purported gender inequalities should drop the taboo and embrace the science of sex differences. Thank you very much. Let, let's just start by just, just trying to clear up what we mean by equality, because in these debates you can often slip between different conceptions of it. And, and Theodore, d what, you, your account of equality did seem to really rest on a kind of sameness. And what, what both Helena and Sophie in their uh, different ways countered that, didn't they? They said, we do, when, when we say equality, we don't mean the same thing. We just mean an opportunity for me that I would value given my predispositions and talents, equally to the opportunity that you would value, but the content of those opportunities will be very different. Well, what I uh, was trying to say is that I thought that the only uh, workable uh, equality is equality under the law, and that actual equality, either of opportunity or of outcome, uh, would depend on an enormous and tyrannical apparatus in order to bring it about, to compress things. And that's what I was saying. If you really mean equality of opportunity, you have to make sure that the starting position is the same, including, for example, that people have the same, exactly the same upbringing with the same parents. It would require that a society existed in which parents had no special interest in their own children. How would I measure whether I've been treated fairly in the society I'm, I'm living in? Are you talking fair about fairly or justly? Because these two things are slightly different. For example, it's very unfair that there are ugly people in the world. This is very unfair. A and in fact, L.P. Hartley wrote a very interesting, well, it wasn't a terribly good book, Facial, Facial Justice. justice yeah in which everyone had to end up with an average face in order that people who were handsome uh, had no sure, special... But advantages. precisely because it's the, of the absurdity of the example, that's why we'd say that's an irrelevant criterion when we're handing out jobs as engineers, for example. But I'm trying to get at things where we've got some measure of control over their structural determinants, where it seems reasonable for me to be annoyed if I have a less of an opportunity to get on than you do? Well, I'm not... Uh, of course, it's perfectly true that there have been the most gross injustices. For example, if you have a formal law against certain kinds of people, and the obvious example is apartheid South Africa, where there was a division between what people could do and what they couldn't uh, do, that's obviously uh, something that one can adjust. But if you want to, if you measure equality of opportunity by equality of outcome, for example, then you are destined, I'm afraid, to undertake tyrannical measures. Interestingly enough, pretty much every utopian text does in fact take the children and put them into state orphanages. That's, yes. what, that's what they've always done. Um, I'm interested, Helena and Sophie, what you make of Theodore's thesis, what, what you think of his account of equality. 
So to me, an equal society rests on several things. We don't need hatcheries. What I would like would be an equality of education in which uh, little girls and little boys are presented with female role models and male role models and told that they can go out and equally choose to be an engineer if they're a girl or a nurse if they're a boy. And presumably if you think we did have that, if those determinants were there so that was possible, you think, unlike Helena, I think, that that would make a very significant difference to the choices that men and women would make. Because if I understood you correctly, you think it wouldn't make very much difference at all because there's something deeper going there. Those, cho those choices are freer in your estimation than they are in Sophie's. I'm, I'm not putting words in your mouth. E equality, the sort of equality that we, that we should be thinking about is a sort of equality worth having. And I think that when you were describing types of, e of equality, you were saying these aren't worth having. Everybody would be equal, but they wouldn't be worth having. Equality can be worth having, but we must recognize that because men and women are different, what they will want, given equality, that is, given fairness, beginning with freedom of choice, the more freedom of choice that you give men and women, the more they will diverge rather than converge. And the idea that the engineer, after she's finished work, will come home and find a husband who's a carer, has managed to get the afternoon off, and has taken care of the children, and that everybody is happier with that than they would have been with men on average being engineers and women on average being carers. That just isn't going to happen. And you're fighting a not battle under the current against structures. And you're fight, of course, the current culture you're attributing to. Structures. The current, the current structures you're attributing it to. There are all sorts of structures that natural selection set up over 800 million years that are showing up now more in societies that are liberal and liberated than they do in societies that aren't. There are aspects such as personality in which men and women diverge more in the sorts of societies we all admire and want to live in and enlightenment societies. They diverge more than they do in other societies in more backward societies from in that respect. Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? If the answer to that question is yes, subscribe to iai.tv for unlimited access to thousands of debates, talks, articles, academy courses and live events. Are you bored of the surface level news, politics, sports and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed? Go deeper. Get the philosophy behind the news and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe and everything in between. It's free for the first month and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. So a lot of this rests on, on, us, on what we can attribute to nature, doesn't it? What, what is in our nature? in our talent and to the extent to which those things are structurally determined. Now, Sophie, you are taking the view that actually the structural preconditions of our lives are more important than our natures. I'm saying that you can't properly see natures because of the structures that are hampering them. Right. 
to me, you know, an equal, an equal society is, some, is, is diverse, it is intersectional, uh, it is free. Women do not fear violence, for example. At the moment, women, many women do fear, fear violence purely because of their gender. And that's, that's, not, that's not a natural thing. No. I mean, that, that's in, in one sense an un uncontroversial point to, to be against. But let's take the, the instance of engineers, for example. If you had the equal opportunity society between the genders that you wanted, what order of magnitude are we talking about, about women being engineers, do you think? I mean, it's currently 9%. Do you think it'd be 50-50? Is there, is there no natural predisposition towards these things, or is there some, but we're masking it because of our structures? I think the comparison between nursing and engineering is an interesting one, because I think we, many, many women do n go into nursing uh, because, it like teaching, it fits with childcare, with caring, with the fact that, men, that w women need more than men to do flexible part-time, often low-paid jobs. Uh, what's interesting also is that we, we compare nursing against engineering as something of lower value, it's paid less, uh, because our current power structures have decreed, have decreed that. What I want to do is to get to a point where uh, women um, are able to be part of the decision-making group, and, and that is why, for example, uh, the Women's Equality Party is pro-cautious in politics and at the top levels of business, because once you can reconnect to those decisions about, about power, then you can start to have an impact all the way through. To me, it's not about setting a 50-50 quota for engineers. It's about the fact that, for example, my soon-to-be seven-year-old daughter bounced into school as a four-year-old saying, I want to be a scientist, and came back flattened after two weeks, saying, well, the boys tell me I can't be a scientist and I can't wear this and I shouldn't say this. And, I, you know, and, that's, and that's damaging our, our young boys too. Can I pick up, you, know, you made a very interesting point about blame, which I want to, to pick up on. Because this is in uh, Michael Young's Rise of the Meritocracy, of course, he makes this point, doesn't he? That the, the reason that his merit meritocracy, in his view, of course, this is a satirical book, this is not a compliment, meritocracy, he says that the reason that society is dysfunctional and disastrous is precisely for the reason you give, which is that if you failed on your own account, then that's a truly terrible thing. And there's a sort of snobbery at the people at the top who have not only made it to the top, but they deserve to be at the top. And they look down on the, the, the woe-begone people at the bottom. And that society is dysfunctional. So that's Young's critique, that that meritocratic society leads to a disaster. Is that essentially what you're getting at? Uh, well, well, I think disaster is a slightly strong word for it, but I'm just pointing out that there are psychological problems. Uh, my point is that I think that we are distracted by the notion of equality from doing those things which are very much easier. So we can, for example, increase people's opportunities. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So I find it, I, I worked in an area where almost no one could read what I would call fluently. And that seems to me something that should be easy to change. And it seems to me that people who are, who are given that kind of education have almost no opportunity. It's not a question of equality of opportunity. They don't have much opportunity in the first place. And it seems to me that that's a true scandal because it's been proved that you can 
change that. Uh, you can teach the vast majority of children. But the, 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 advo the advocate of equality of opportunity would simply agree with you, wouldn't they? They'd say, well, yes, you're quite right. We're never going to have equal opportunities no, until people can read. Yes. But I think the difference is I'm not seeking equality of opportunity. I'm just seeking for those children to be educated so that they have at least some uh, opportunity. They're never going to have the same opportunity as people born elsewhere, but at least they will have some choice. They, don't, they won't even be able to answer the telephone properly. Can I give you a, one example where perhaps equality of opportunity does get in the way of people's um, life chances, which is to say this. I, I grew up in, in Manchester in a not particularly salubrious part of town, and most of my peers at school were bored out of their brains by 13. They were, they were never in a million years were they going to get uh, good exam results. They were forced to go through an academic curriculum to the point of 16 in any case, at which point they all left with nothing. Now, on the grounds of an equal opportunity, they were pushed through that education. If instead we'd thought about it as appropriate education, Aristotle's idea of appropriate fit, they, who were talented in other directions, would have gone on to do something quite different. But at the end, uh, at the end of that process, of course, people are still going to be differently regarded, they'll have different status and so on. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I, I agree that we shouldn't be putting people through a kind of meat mincer in the hope that what we get out is identical sausages. Helena, how far would you push your point? I mean, we, okay, you make the point that people have a nature and will make choices. Are you saying that there's nothing in Sophie's critique, that, um, that our structures are fine? actually, and the, there isn't really any great problem with uh, the domination of men. They're all, it's all willed and all voluntary transactions. And if I've got to the top in journalism, it's because I'm simply better than the women beneath me. <laughs> I'd like you to use that precise example. <laughs> <laughs> no, of, of course I don't think anything, anything of the kind, but I am very concerned about the idea of it's not biological, it is structural, as if somehow once you've got the structure out there, biology, we don't even know about the biology, we can't even know about it, because that structure is all-powerful and all-encompassing. So are you saying, for example, Sophie, that the causes of domestic violence and rape and the causes of women not becoming engineers to the same extent as men, or perhaps the causes of uh, female genital mutilation and uh, early marriage. Are you saying that those are all part of, not in this country, those last two, but in general? In yes, they do happen in this country. Okay, I was, I was not going to press that though. Um, you're saying they're all part of a structure. Can you tell me what exactly this structure is? Where are its causes? Where can we pull the levers to change it? What, what, how does it have such omnipotence and yet not obviously there. When I started earlier on describing what my idea of an equal world looked like, I was talking through the first two of the six goals that the Women's Equality Party has set uh, to break down this uh, structural discrimination against women so that we can create an equal and fair society in which we can truly see what people's biological preferences might be. 
So the first was an, equ an equality of education, so that children are, are given the same opportunities and the same open road in front of them. The second was an equality of parenting, uh, so that we take the, the stigma out of men feeling that they are unable to ask for time off work. Equality of pay, so that women earn the same amount for men for the same work, but also so that we look at the reasons that women are more likely to be low paid and to be unpaid, and that two-thirds of Britain's poorest people are women. The other point is equality of representation, so equal representation in politics. So the legislation that is being prioritised and written uh, is, is, is made equally by men and women. But w would it be a good investment if there were women's jobs? I mean, infrastructure is either good or bad in itself, isn't it? I mean, yeah, the, the reason for infrastructure is because it's easy to do. It's easy to announce and, uh, you, can and, and you can point at it and say, look what we've done, even though you haven't done anything. Uh, equally, a huge investment of that size in childcare would have similarly revolutionary results in terms of uh, putting people, giving people opportunities to work and I be productive. I was going to ask you about that, because if you, if you look, look, look briefly at societies like the Scandinavian societies, where you've got a much better childcare infrastructure than we've got in Britain, although we've, we've got more than we had in Britain, um, do you find that got having the sort of impact of the kind you'd like, such that women are going into different types of jobs? Have we seen a change in the pattern of female employment and activity as a result of the growth of a childcare base over the last 30 years in Sweden, for example? I think what I would say is that there is still a long way to go. At the moment, government-supported childcare kicks in at the age of three to four. Um, parental leave ends at nine months. That is a huge gap that many, many women, and it's always women, tends to be usually women, fall into. Now, I noticed, uh, Helen, as we were talking, that you suddenly, brilliantly produced a leaflet, facts and figures about men and women in Sweden. Um, can you do that for any country Swedish I happen government. to mention? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Moldavia. <laughs> Madagascar. <laughs> it's rather small in Madagascar. Um, this is produced by the Swedish government, and they're really excellent statistics. And I don't know if you know that Sweden is generally agreed to be, was um, so-called by the World Economic Forum, so voted for, and generally agreed to be the most gender equal of all societies. And these statistics, which are absolutely excellent, they're beautifully set out in lots and lots of detail, they're largely about, they start actually with talking about uh, having gender equality, and it starts with gender equality since the 1980s, because they've been producing this since then, and they talk about the changes in those decades. And you didn't answer the question about how different, are, are there basically more women in engineering, so to speak? How oh, different is it? If you look at, say, America and the UK, the uh, USA and the UK, it's amazing how alike the statistics are for the percentages of women in the different occupations. Even though we've got such very different politics and um, social needs and so on and so on, they're, they're really sometimes not even a, a percentage point different. So we, in our research, decided to look at Sweden and look in particular at things like engineering and so on, where surely they would have made a difference. No, again, not a percentage point difference. In fact, in their own, this is not me, this is the Swedish government, they say, after all these decades 
of trying for gender equality and being praised for being more gender equal than anywhere else. They have the greatest segregation, one of the greatest segregations in the workplace. That is, segregation means for them not 50-50 men and women, and they allow 40-60 men and women. That's okay. After that, it's uh, female, too much female or too much male. There's, look, the same as ours. The percentages are the same. With all of that social engineering, they haven't changed it. However, I'm interested that you say that the women are happier. Yes. No, it was the men. The men are happier with childcare. With, with, with the quality of childcare, it's that the men are happier. The suicide rates in men are much lower, yes. and the divorce rates overall are much lower. When men, when men are part of families and have access to their children. Can I, can I just bring in one other dimension of this? Because you prompted me with the, the happiness data, which also, also shows there's, there's a correlation, at least, perhaps not a cause, causation between the reported happiness and income inequality. Now, that's one dimension of equality that we can measure very easily. And I, that's certainly on the political left, that's why the left always tends to go towards income inequality, because you can capture it, you can, we can see it. Uh, it's not vague like equality of opportunity, it's very clear. Now, do you think income inequality, the drive towards income inequality, Theodore, is, leads to some bad consequences, or is it a desirable goal? Well, I think it would depend very much on how, how much equality you actually wanted or drove at. Uh, Britain is now more equal in uh, its income than it was before, the, before 2008. Uh, and actually, uh, these figures, the, the, the so-called correlation, first of all, correlation is not causation. You always have to remember that. Secondly, those figures are, are produced by eliminating certain very unequal societies which are rich. So if you, if you pick your societies to get the correlation you want, you can easily get the, the, the correlation I have to say that it, it's not just Jeremy Corbyn who's interested in this. I mean, it's the IMF and the World Bank. I mean, there's a whole series of, of really quite um, red-in-tooth-and-claw capitalist uh, societies and, and organizations which now regard the inequality within democratic societies as a serious predicament. Well, it depends, of course. I think it, it, it's very important to know how that inequality is uh, produced. In Britain, it's produced, I think, uh, by a very distorted economy, um, and uh, one which is very vulnerable to, um, uh, to shocks, uh, and I'm rather pessimistic about the future of, uh, of this society. Uh, but I don't think equality in itself is desirable, and it, as I said, it depends again on what degree of equality, what degree of equality is required. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, which was brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. So what do you think? Are we all born equal and the constraints of gender, class and race applied to us? Or are our wants, needs and desires decided by the way nature made us? Let us know by tweeting at iii underscore tv with the hashtag philosophy for our times. <laughs>